Today, we're going to start an interview series portion of our Jesus Economics, and we're absolutely thrilled uh, to have our first guest here. I want to do a couple introductory points before we welcome Rolando first. So, first of all, part of the series that we've been going on uh, regarding the way of Jesus um, is not just theoretical for us. We have, we have really tried hard to think deeply that the faith that we teach and the teachings that we understand from the scriptures actually have real-life implications. And so part of this interview series is us wanting to engage very carefully and thoughtfully. Um, I think a lot of religious institutions have a, have a really good sense of how to express meaning when they do their teachings. And so people come because it's meaningful to them. It means something to me. And I, um, in Christian circles, evangelical circles, there's this idea that I was able to take something away from the time of being at church. So I got something out of it. It was meaningful to me. We would like to add to meaningfulness, thoughtfulness, which means it's meaningful to me. Sure. Like going across a border and doing a missions trip is meaningful to me. But part of Spark's ethic is to also add thoughtfulness. What are we actually doing when we cross the border? What does missions actually look like? What does that kind of service actually... So we ask some deeper and harder questions. So that's one of the main reasons why we're doing this particular segment. The second reason is because you really need to be introduced to some amazing people and amazing organizations that have been doing this work for years And I think it's very easy for churches, and specifically those of us who really want to be part of that meaningful work, to automatically jump in and to feel like, okay, now that we have the theology and we have the passion, uh, let's, let's go. But part of the work of being a Jesus follower is to recognize that there were Jesus followers doing some incredible work, incredible meaningful and thoughtful work on that ground for decades before we even showed up. And so part of why we're doing this is to learn, to listen and to learn, and to really recognize that we have still a lot to learn about the application of the things that we've been teaching and talking about over Jesus Economics, along with the people that we've invited along. So we want to embrace a a humble spirit in that particular sense. And then uh, third, we hope that you're also encouraged, because we, we have spent some time, honestly, as a community, going... Man, it feels bleak sometimes in this world, especially when it comes to religious expression. And I hope that you are encouraged that there are some amazing people doing some amazing work in the name of Jesus. And we should be encouraged and inspired by that. And we want to encourage and support the work that they're doing. Um, Before we welcome Rolando up, I'd like to show you a quick video from Bayshore Christian Ministries to give you a little bit of a sense uh, of an introduction. And then we'll welcome Rolando. I think God sees... EPA as a representation of his kingdom. It's so diverse. Um, There's people from different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different social economic statuses, and I think that's how the kingdom of heaven is going to be. One of the most important issues that I think is facing our community today is that a lot of the people who have lived here for years aren't socially mobile, and that's due to their lack of education. Poverty. A lot of families do not have a lot of homes for their children and do not have the proper resources to provide food for them. People who've lived here for generations are being displaced or they can't afford to live here anymore, uh, so they have to move out. Families have been evicted out of their houses and they have nowhere else to go. They either don't have any, like, they don't have a plan B 
or they just don't qualify to be like in a shelter home. The Amazon building, it changed a lot the way East Palo Alto is because now there's more people coming into East Palo Alto because of the building. It's really, really sad what people are saying because they feel like the community, like East Palo Alto is losing a lot of what made it special, which was its community. When somebody like talks about EPA, they would like think bad about it and like they don't really see the change that we see. I think that a lot of our experiences, whether they're good or bad, from living in East Palo Alto, God wants to use that and it's a source of strength. BCN's mission is to equip youth from our community to grow spiritually, gain life skills, and develop as leaders so they have hope in the future. Through our programs, we connect mentors and provide a safe space where students can process the many challenges they're facing. I describe um, Lit and BCM as a safe place. I could, I could talk about anything that I want to talk about around them. and. I feel like I don't get judged or anything. I feel like I get advice and support and love from everyone here. It's just nice to know that there's a place in this portal where you can talk about religion and God because at school you can't really talk about that. BCM is a, it's a big, it's like a family to me. So some people don't know about BCM and like, once I tell them about them, it's like they want to get more involved. I see BCM as a place where God is lifting up leaders and uh, using BCM to, to spread the kingdom through education and by empowering other youth and helping people become confident. It's a good feeling to me because I want people to know about this community. That means a lot to me. Uh, Rolando has a BS in men mechanical engineering and a master's in manufacturing systems engineering and engineering management from Stanford University. He's been a leader in educational and community nonprofit work for dozens of years. And most recently, he is the executive director of Bayshore Christian Ministries. Everybody give a warm welcome to Rolando Zeladon. Thank you. Okay. Hi, how, how you doing? Oh, good. Thank good, you so good. Thanks for being here. Thank I, you. Thank you for really the invitation. Um, Rolando, we've been in this series for a little while on Jesus Economics, and uh, I know we've passed some of the teachings on to you, but today what we want to do is just hear a little bit about your story and share a little bit personally if you're willing sure. to. Um, and then um, for us specifically, I think we're, we're, I know I'm really curious about how this. Um, faith thing in Jesus actually works on the ground because you have to deal with economics all the time, right? I mean, this is, a, this is a huge piece of your puzzle. I forgot to say as part of the introduction as well that one of the reasons why having Rolando here is so special um, is we have board members that are Spartan members of BCM, we do. right? Um, so we have a lot of cross-pollinization, and uh, we have uh, other members of Spark who are volunteering regularly. I think Pastor Mark still volunteers That's at right. BCM, and Rajesh and Yazi are volunteering yep. in, the, in the LEGO program as well. So this is very, very close That's to right. our hearts. So we're very honored to have you here and to hear a little bit more okay. about that. So, Great. Well, th well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And um, honestly, it's, I'm a little nervous. I'll get to speak in front of church very often. So... 
Um, in terms of being able to tell you a little bit about my personal story, uh, to give you a, a context, uh, perhaps what, what even, how is it that I started working at BCM. Um, I'm an immigrant. Uh, I was born in Nicaragua. I came here in 1980, right after the Civil War, and um, came here like many of the children that we serve. Um, pretty much uh, at that age, uh, age of nine, uh, remember, thanks to Sesame Street, I knew two words of English, Cookie and Daddy. Don't ask me how I remember those words. And, you know, went, grew up in San Jose, downtown San Jose, and went through the uh, uh, English language learner ESL program then, and, uh, and then we're going to, uh, uh, to Stanford for uh, engineering. And never once did I thought, would have thought I would have been in ministry, much less, the, you know, work in EPA all this time. But God has a certain way of, of calling you to, to do his work. And... Um, so culturally Catholic, and I came to Christ, um, rededicated my life in, in my early 30s um, in, in a, at a church here in the Bay Area called Jubilee Christian Center, who now is a big church called Redemption uh, Bay Area. So um, a little more on the Pentecostal side in terms of worship and so on. So, you know, they definitely are not afraid of talking about tithing there. <laughs> but, uh, um, um, but anyway, uh, in terms of... Um, uh, how is it that, uh, you know, you asked me a question about um, sharing a little bit of the economic background and, again, my, a little bit of my perspective from that. Um, coming from that immigrant experience, and interesting how the stuff that's in the news is the asylum, because we came in after much turmoil in my, in my home country and applied to, for political asylum. So we went through that journey, and after getting denied after several years of that process, my father started his own business at, at that point early on, and as a small business owner, saw the, the, the feast and famine that can happen with business ownership. And uh, definitely that left an impression, though, about the necessity of education being a way out, obviously, uh, as a way to move forward economically. And, um, but I always had that, that seated appreciation for, for education. And come in, in, in low when I got to um, learn about BCM and, and the work that, it's holistic work that it's doing, um, that really resonated personally. Do, do you mind if I ask, um, you, you mentioned seeking asylum is, I mean, this is a part of your story and obviously right. it's, it's really big in contemporary news. Do you mind sharing um, what it is like for you having been through that experience to kind of see what's going on? Just like what your personal experiences and your reflections on, sure. on all that. Yeah, and I can speak a little bit about that. Um, it's heartbreaking, um, to, to say the least, of what, what's the treatment of that the immigrant is being received at the border. And then I commend, I know some of you, a few of you went to a protest a few weeks back, I, I remember uh, hearing. And, uh, and I'll speak to that uh, towards the end of my, of my, my remarks. Um, but um, this is, those are the, the, the wake-up calls, and the, I think it, it shines upon the opportunity that we have as a Christian community to come up and respond. Um, I was fairly young, so I didn't really get a sense of appreciation of that process. Um, that was, you know, I was on age 9 to about 11 or 12. So I remember later when I found out we, we had been denied and when I was ready to apply to uh, college, that's when the immigration status stuff came to bear. And because at that point in time, it happened to be Ronald Reagan and the Reagan administration, there was an amnesty program then that my family ended up qualifying. Uh, otherwise, it would have been a very different story for me. It would have been a very different path. So because of that amnesty, we got our residency. Again, my dad being a business owner and 
kept, you know, paid his taxes, all that, doing all the things uh, properly, uh, it made the process of, of getting a residency fairly, fairly straightforward. So it was, it was just in the nick of time, just as I was uh, entering uh, college. So, but again, it was the laws of the land at that point in time made some, some of these things happen. Um, yeah. Um, can I ask if you can share what are the responses of your students and the and the kids that you're working with? Oh, she's uh, just um, well with the, with the stuff in the news. Uh, the there was just last week we had a number of parents pick up their children, and there was news that there was ice was in the neighborhood, and parents stuck around, and and then and you can sense the tension, you can sense the reality, you can sense the fear, and then. To me, the unfortunate uh, decision of our, some of our political leaders to, to uh, lead with fear and division, it's just, again, are heartbreaking. So it's, it's definitely a, a, a very palpable experience of, of, of you know, people not being engaged yeah. you know, socially. Thanks for sharing. How did you get to BCM? How did you find yeah. yourself in this work? Sure. So um, I started working and uh, went through grad school a long time, and, and uh, I was in the PhD program, failed my quals. is one of those moments of decision points. You go, okay, am I a failure, and all that kind of thing. And then, but you kind of land on your feet and then realize uh, I fell in love with working with youth early on. And uh, I went to my 10-year college reunion. There was a, a friend of mine who was running a nonprofit called Plugged In, in East Palo Alto. And, uh, and Plugged In was one of the first community technology centers. And I'm dating myself a little bit. This is where, you know, connection wasn't wireless. It was through a plug. And then, you know, remember those campaigns of getting schools connected and all that. And Plugged In became known because it was visited by, by President Clinton because it was one of the first kind of large community technology centers to provide access to a community like ours in East Palo Alto. So I ended up working and plugged in and running their um, a youth program and another program called EPA.net, where it was a, uh, a way of collaborating and working a lot of nonprofits in, in East Palo Alto. In that work, I got to know Bayshore Christian Ministries, uh, John and, and, and Andy Hartwell. Uh, Andy, uh, who just rejoined our team, was one of the co-founders uh, of BCM, and just fell in love with the work. Again, the holistic work of, of, of not just sharing the gospel, which is center and core of what we do, but being able to be uh, sensitive to the realities that many of our families experience, particularly our youth, and this, especially through academic support and, and so on. And um, again, I just fell in love with, with the work and, and got the opportunity and the invitation then to join the team. This is 2008. Uh, I'm sorry, 2006. Uh, Andrew left uh, in 2008. Uh, at that point, I was invited to apply to be the executive director. And I did the Jonah thing for about six months. I said, no way, that's a big shoes to fill. This is exactly, you know. And then uh, I was a baby Christian then. Uh, and again, as I mentioned earlier, I had rededicated my life to Christ. So I didn't feel um, worthy, really, to, or, or prepared to lead a ministry. Um, but again, he made it very clear where he wanted to be. And it's, it's been a, an amazing experience so far. And, and again, and, and seeing God's faithfulness through, through the seasons uh, as we um, uh, not just continue to grow, but to, to deepen uh, our, our relationships yeah. you know, with him. Uh, I'm kind of curious, um, in your faith, you, you, you said you come from a more charismatic background. Um, what 
you know, we're in a Jesus economic series, so uh, there's a lot of things that I'm curious about from, from your background as well as your, your uh, immigration background and religious background, but specifically about um, economics. I'm curious, do you have a sense or an understanding of the economic vision of Jesus? Like what economic uh, results or output do you see in reading Jesus through your work? What, how would you articulate that? Yeah, so I was kind of reflecting on that question for a few days now. I, I, I see that Jesus' uh, economic vision is one of multiplication. Um, and I, I saw that with, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, you know, he takes something, he blesses it, and everybody gets, gets fed. And a chapter later, he feeds 4,000 in, in this very similar way. Um, you know, uh, I the parable of the talents where, you know, you're we're given something and then you kind of invest it and then get something in return. But, but I feel that that multiplication gets activated uh, with, with having a seed for us to be able to plant something, to give something at first. Um, and as small, right, as, 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 a, you know, as a mustard seed. But it, he definitely multiplies that from, from that. And, and what I've seen is, is over the, the time is how... Us giving him that little something, whether it's our two mites, um, he can turn that around and, and multiply it. And, and, you know, we've seen that time and time again through BCM. Uh, we've seen that through many other different partners. And to me, it's just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I love that answer because we have, we have used the word regenerative in our, in mm-hmm. our series to describe um, kind of an economic principle of rather than just a zero-sum game where you take and then all of a sudden it's gone, it's, a, it's figuring out how to use the resources that we have to regenerate and to, and to multiply. So I, I love that you've said multiply because it feels like a, a, a cross-platform um, of kind of a secular economic theory with a spiritual principle, right? You yeah. take something and to believe that the work that you're doing in this one kid at this one program or whatever it is you're doing has the opportunity, well, actually has the potential to multiply into more than what you, you gave to it. Right, right. So, okay, so here's going to be the hard question then. Given that principle, given that idea, which I would be on board with, I think that's what we've taught, it's what we've reflected on, which is uh, what we believe to be the economic vision of Jesus, that it, there's not limited resources, that there's multiplication that can happen, there's regeneration that can happen. Given that, can you share with us what is the economic reality for you in EPA? The Amazon building was mentioned. Gentrification is a, right. is a big word. Um, kids just barely making it, families needing to move out, cost of living, all of that kind of stuff. What is, the, what is the actual reality that you're facing on the ground there? And how do you see BCM mending that chasm of you want to see multiplication happen, and yet you're surrounded by an economic reality that is really, really challenging? Absolutely. So that's the hard question for you. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a hard question. And I mean, I hope, obviously... Uh, all the answers. And, and that the video that you, you showed, that was basically, we interviewed our, some of our high school students about a year ago, uh, and it was kind of neat to hear some of their reflections, but, you know, obviously they were able to kind of share what their, their sentiment. And uh, about two years ago, well, early spring last year, we went through a strategic planning process to ask ourselves that question in terms of BCM, how is it that we stay relevant to the work given the changes in the community. And 
the, the top pressure points that our parents shared were obviously the effects of gentrification, housing instability, the, the cost of living being so high. And, and actually, just sorry to interrupt, just to be clear, what is gentrification, just in case we, we make sure we keep everybody on oh, board? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, a working definition. Um, that's interesting. I, I think the displacement of, of communities, of working poor, working communities, by um, neighbors that may have a different type of affluence. Yeah. That would be one definition that I like to use. Um, and then I think it presents an opportunity as well when, uh, in terms of what happens and how can we can engage uh, the new neighbors. And that's right. one question that BCM is asking uh, ourselves that. Uh, in terms of the other pressure points, um, obviously the cost of living, cost of housing, increased traffic. You saw that, that on the video where now you have about 2 million square feet of commercial real estate come in the pipeline. It has yet to be built in East Palo Alto. There's only three or four entry points in and out of the city, so the pinch points are going to be even worse uh, in terms of getting uh, access. Uh, and then we talked about immigration and the anxiety surrounding enforcement. Uh, and the last but not least, the economic opportunities our kids are feeling. Um, so to answer your question in terms of the economic reality is pretty, pretty severe, all right? I mean, we know, we've seen that. Um, uh, here in, in, in local areas, the amount of families living in RVs, for example, uh, in East Palo Alto, you had at one point about 70, you know, RVs in one street uh, or a few, few. And then the city responded in a very um, intriguing way, a very creative way, actually, in terms of providing a safe parking program. Um, but uh, the, the question, though, in terms of upward mobility and social mobility, and I think the answer that we can give is be able to provide, help kids uh, receive the education they, they can receive mm -hmm. uh, and, and think through and helping them accomplish those um, interesting enough, uh, the recent, um, there's a high school statistics, about 70% of our kids are finishing high school, which shows, hey, that's, that's a pretty significant, big number, um, but that's a five-year statistic. And then the alarming thing, though, is that only about 10% of the students, and this is data that's about 10 years old, so it's not the most recent data, are A through G uh, requirement ready, meaning they finished high school, but only about 10% of them are able to have the requirements so they can enter a four-year school. So what does that mean? That means that um, for every, let's say we're graduating 70 children, 10%, seven of those would start college, and then the large majority will go to a, a community college um, and so on, but the transfer rate out of Cañada, one of the college, is 30%, and that's a six-year statistic. So what all the math is all said and done, we're graduating only about 10 out of 100 students uh, that complete college. Uh, because nationally, for uh, first, you know, students of color, first-generation students of color go to school, it's only about a 20% uh, graduation rate, completion rate. So what does that mean? That means we get them through high school, we celebrate that, and we, the vision is a high-paying professional job at an Amazon, at a Facebook, at a local company. But if they don't have the qualifications to be able to afford those high-paying jobs, then they're not going to be able to be part of this you know, Silicon Valley economy, per se. Now, there's a lot of other pathways and, and so on. I'm, I'm not disagreeing. For us, it's success. It's all these steps along the way. Let them, I mean, for many years, graduating in eighth grade was a significant milestone for some of our families. I think now it's, okay, let's graduate in high school. 
and then what happens then. Uh, in our case, we have two alumni who are currently working at BCM, which is a phenomenal. We love that. They can come back and, and, and provide uh, serve. Uh, I think the challenge is many of those alumni had family who, can, who had a home, who had a presence in the community, and that's not the case anymore, or not being a, because a lot of families sold, moved to other parts of the country or other parts of the state, and now are, even though they may want to come back and serve, uh, they can't afford to live in the community. Uh, this was not in the notes. This just came to mind. You know, there's a lot of forces that you have to contend with, and I'm just kind of curious, is BCM ever considered be, being much more politically active and at the city level at the very least? And if you have been or have considered, in what particular ways? Um, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a fair question. That's a good question. Uh, we've been around, this is our 35th year uh, of ministry. So I think being around the community gives us some level of responsibility to be advocates. And we definitely advocate for the children on a very uh, personal level, right? Uh, uh, we, you know, we engage with children when, as early as possible with elementary, and then we have programs all the way through high school. So on that personal level, there's a level of advocacy. Uh, politically, it's, it's outside of our, our charter, if you will. Um, that being said, that doesn't mean that we don't want to um, engage in certain conversations uh, or partner with organ certain organizations. Uh, that is something in terms of, we talk about planting the seeds earlier on, and that is something that you know we do at BCM is really reach out and, and try to make those connections broadly right. uh, within our community. Yeah. Seed planting, and I've experienced this firsthand uh, working with youth and kids, it's, uh, it can be really uh, daunting sometimes because the seed planting means that you're not seeing results immediately. And I think one of the things I'd love for you to comment on, this is um, for my own personal counseling, which is mm -hmm. the, the work that you do, if you believe in a regenerative and a multiplying principle of the work that you do, then the additional principle that you also have to work with is that you may not actually see the end right. results of the work that you're doing. And, and I think that grates against... That, that to me feels like it grates against this other economic principle, which is ROI, return on mm -hmm. investment. I have invested, and therefore I now want to see immediate results, whether that be the mission strip that I'm doing or you know, a right. week program or things like that. And so I know for me personally, especially in ministry, it, it can feel like, and especially in, in our day as we add instant gratification to our cultural ethos, the seed planting and multiplication and regenerative work is, takes a lot of time, and sometimes you don't always see that yourself. And so there's a part of me that feels like there's this additional economic principle, which is the work that you're doing is really critical, even if you don't see the, the full and the end results immediately right away. Right. I, I'd be curious, um, your, your thoughts, reflections? Are, are yeah, um, that, that's exactly right in terms of, uh, I think one of the, the things we're able to share now, being in ministry as long as we have, is now we have second generation BCMers right. come around, right? Where uh, kids grew up, we lost them somewhere, and then now they come back as parents and bring in their kids to their program. And that's, or we're able to you know, hear back from some of our alumni after a couple of years in college, and then there was that child who was perhaps a little bit more on the rebellious side that received prayer requests quite often. And then you hear it later when he's a young adult reflecting back on the time 
you, you don't think he was listening. <laughs> you know, he was bouncing off the walls in the back. And then, uh, uh, yeah, and Sue Ann knows about some of these children. Um, but then you get to listen and, re- and read or learn about some of those moments. And they go, okay, God was at work in those, those times. Uh, and I think that takes a level, some level of maturity, right, to be able to say we can do our part in this season, and this is going to be our part, and trusting that this is part of a continuum, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to your point, we may not see this result at the end of the, you know, this process. And, I mean, he's working on all of us in, the, in, in that way. Uh, but I think there's the level of trust that, okay, we can do our part. We water, and, the, and then eventually the harvest will come. And, and again, and because of that longevity where, again, when our alumni come back and they're now our operations associate now, as, grew up in, as a middle schooler in our program and, and so on, and, and get to hear some of her, her stories about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I know you may be uncomfortable uh, being a, perhaps a preacher. I'm going to put you in a preacher position. Oh, boy. Um, with all of your experience, your personal experience, your professional experience, the longevity that BCM has had, um, from your vantage point, what do you think responsible Jesus followers should do? Or what kind of responsibility do Jesus followers have? Um, you know, this is, you're in our backyard. This, you're, you are our neighbor. And I would be kind of curious if you would have an exhortation or some sort of sermonette, <laughs> I suppose, as to what, from your vantage point, what does it mean to be a responsible Jesus follower yeah, I, I think part of being active in this economic system that we're talking about is, is engaging at some level. Uh, and, you know, I was reflecting on, on Ephesians 2.10, uh, for we are God's handiwork created in Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. Uh, I think that that's a call to action. Uh, and, and part of it is, it could be a pretty overwhelming with so much inequity you see. And then I think part of it is just knowing that we can take one step towards something that's, that it's meaningful to us. And in a particular way that God might be speaking to us, a particular cause, whether it be youth development in Palo Alto, whether that be fighting for the rights of immigrant children who have been separated from their parents, whether that be knocking on the door of the neighbor that may live in an RV, uh, or something else. I mean, I think all of us, God has placed... A lot of different causes in our hearts, and I think the challenge is getting out of the comfort zone and taking that step of of action towards being engaged in some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I was, re- you know, reading your charter, and, and I love the way uh, you presented um, Matthew five fourteen uh, through sixteen about being the light of the world, mm-hmm. right, and, and and shining that light brightly. Uh, and I feel that that's part of the opportunity that we have now, especially today. Yeah, that's awesome. Does anybody have any questions for Rolando? I want to make sure that uh, give you an opportunity to ask too. Please, Jor. And then I'll repeat the question. And it has to be on the script, otherwise. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, this goes back to your, um, the outcomes with uh, how many go to a four-year sure. school. What do you think about, there's a lot of conversation about whether the cost-benefit of four-year liberal arts college is worth it. Is there, you... What do you think about vocational schools or alternative for the four-year? So let me repeat the question just to make sure everybody heard it. Um, So given the goal or hope of four-year college, what really is the actual benefit, uh, cost and benefit analysis uh, of a four-year institution? um, Versus alternatives. Versus alternatives, yeah. Thank you. 
That's, um, and, and, and let me broaden that a bit, because I believe education, it's, it's multiple ways. And for some of us, we celebrate where some children just graduate high school. And that's a moment of celebration. And for some, some of their journeys, that is significant. You know, because then um, hopefully they surround themselves with, with some mentors that can provide them some better life choices or help them with some of those life choices. In some cases, vocational school was adequate and was great. I think part of it is just the, the idea of, of movement, of forward progress. Of, you know, not, I mean, college, it's four-year schools are great, and for some, that's awesome. For others, a vocational program can work really well. For others, it may just be finishing high school and being an active member. But part of it is, is the mentality and the empowerment that happens. Uh, whatever degree of formal education you may have, it's almost of the mindset that there's value in what I, and that I can grow, continue growing. And that's where we want to equip. I mean, part of the success, I mean, the, um, one of the statistics that, that has stuck with me all these years is the... Um, the prison population is almost proportional to the uh, third grade reading levels. Uh, you may have heard some, something like that, right? So what does that mean? That for us, is in, in our school district, where currently, r- right now, um, we only have about 30% of the children reading at grade level uh, in, in, our, in our district. So what does that mean? That means for, that, for us, it's so important to make sure they're reading at grade level or beyond. Because it's, it's about that confidence, you know, because, again, decision points, right? That what happens, you start mapping things back, and you realize that I, a grade three, if you didn't have that confidence, you, you, a level of engagement, uh, of socialization, right, that, that uh, self-image uh, impact is quite significant if you're able to do that. So to me, it's, education is a little bit broader than just formal four-year schools. Although that being said, though, if you get there, I want to make sure that you can... You can finish. You can complete. I mean, and that's and that's a broader com- broader question. So Thank I you. want to follow up with that because earlier in the conversation you had mentioned, and I think you mentioned it as an example, as a particular, not as like the overall general goal of BCM. But one of the things that you had mentioned is that the ultimate one one of the ultimate goals is to give them an education and the skills and the capabilities enough so that they could could become an executive at Amazon or Google sure. or whatever. Um, but this answer goes deeper than that, given George's question, right? So while education and college is important, it, it sounds like there's something even deeper of a, of a goal and a perspective than we've so, succeeded when they've become the executive. You've, you've actually succeeded when you've done something else. So, yeah, let me, um, and one of the, the, the thoughts that I came in, I didn't get a chance to share uh, our vision as PCM. And when I think about the one-sentence vision statement, it's, Helping our alumni be active Christ followers, filled with hope, with a clear purpose, and marketable skills, so they can give back to their community. Right. So the, to the point, and then, um, and I kind of reflect. You, I think one of the questions you asked me was, "What's the uh, specific teaching that informs our work?" Mm-hmm. And when I kind of reflect on 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 that, I kind of think about, you know, First Timothy reference of allowing our young people to be examples. Um, you know, of believers in speech and conduct and in, in faith and purity and love. Um, and be able to, again, it goes back to that image, right? And be able to help them see themselves as powerful agents of change and helping them empower. And when you're a student and, and you know, schooling is such an important part of your life, we, you know, at BCM, we want them to have that success. 
Uh, and then this is where some of the other enrichment pieces come into play. Um, you know, robotics or the, some of the STEM work that we're doing now is, is a way of, of perhaps helping some of the kids who are not necessarily uh, on that academic path engage at some level. You know? Yeah. I, I absolutely love that. It feels to... I, it feels to me so critically important. The steam work, you know, the science, technology, engineering, uh, arts, and... Um, shoot, you got that? it. Math. And math. Yeah. yeah, good, good, good. For those of you who've heard me with math, I'm really bad at math. I can't even remember <laughs> the name math of, of the steam. Um, that's, that's really critical, but what you just articulated as, a, as a, at least an economic vision from the way that I'm thinking about it, um, is so much more tied to the humanity of the person rather than the results of the, what that person can produce. And I feel it, this to me feels so critical and so important and why I want to publicly honor the work that you're doing is that all of that is, all of the educational and technological and economic pieces are really important. But the way in which BCM approaches this is through this lens of faith which sees that kid as the image of God with the ability, as a seed and the ability and the potential to multiply and regenerate, right? This, this cycle of regeneration through your ministry, and that comes through a deep, profound faith in who we are as people. Um, some of the economic theories about who we are as people is just simply selfish. Um, it, you read some of the, the ideas of how capitalism is supposed to work is we gain, we want, we take, and that's what feeds the economic engine. But what you're saying is that giving back is also part of the economic engine, seeing them as valuable human beings is a, is a key piece of that puzzle. And that to me, to me is just so huge, at least when I compare and contrast what you are doing, the ultimate vision of what BCM is, and some of the fundamental um, assumptions that we have regarding the way in which we just naturally work in our capitalistic society. So I, I appreciate it. Somebody else, please. Miss Jane. Oh, wonderful. So, um, the, so, okay. well, I'm yep. wondering, so these are not Christian organizations, but you have one that's getting um, awards throughout the area because they're um, you know, economically poor students are at or above grade yep. level three years. And so, anyway. yeah. so do, does BCM work with other organizations uh, that might happen to also be secular that are part of reading programs, etc.? Yeah, oh, absolutely, uh, definitely. And 10 Books at Home works with a, a pre-K. Uh, my understanding is that they work with a pre-K and lay a lot of foundation in terms of being able to provide that early literacy. A great organization uh, started on the west side of the, of the city, what they call the west side of, of East Palo Alto. And, um, so we haven't had that opportunity to quite work yet because of the age. Our 
programs are grade one. Um, but love to, if you have any particular information, love to, to be able to receive it. Uh, and then interesting enough, you mentioned the, the college students because in this effort of us kind of analyzing how else can we continue supporting our, 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 our youth, uh, we are questioning you know, with the blessing that we have as a facility. We can open, we have a 10,000 square foot building and we want to maximize it. So we, this February, we open a pilot where we're opening up the space from 9 p.m. to midnight to be a safe uh, study space, a late night study space for, for college students. And there's a shuttle that drops, picks up students from East Palo Alto to Cañada and back. Uh, that it picks up and drops out literally right across the street from BCM at a church. Uh, and that was done uh, through another connection. But we, we realized, okay, here's an opportunity for us to do something. So, for example, that contact that you have with that SAS, love to, love to make a connection because we're gonna, we're, our board just approved uh, another cycle of this pilot. And we're not receiving any formal funds or anything else, but we feel it's the right thing to do to be able to prove the concept that our, our kids can, you know, need some of this safe space because at home, they don't have that uh, access to, to a, a quiet place where they can have internet and, and so on, right? With just the housing situations that some of our students are, are experiencing. So that is, for example, one way that we're kind of stretching ourselves, but that would be a, a, a relevant um, a contact. And we certainly are very open to collaboration, absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, my friend, we are out of time. I want to give you uh, one last opportunity. Uh, Spark is so honored and thankful that you're here. Um, any last words of encouragement, thoughts, reflections, maybe something that we didn't touch that you feel is really important to mention about Jesus Economics or about BCM, um, give you the last word. Thank you. Uh, and I just wanted to uh, commend you for, for the engagement in the church that you are. Uh, I just want to I think part of it is an invitation and a challenge to, uh, and many of you are already, probably already involved. Uh, and it could be as simple as just getting informed, right? So if you're definitely interested in, in learning more about East Palo Alto, and we hope we can figure out ways that we can host uh, Spark uh, at, at BCM and, and be able to uh, provide. But um, uh, just, again, provide prayer covering as, as you do. And when I say thank you. That's awesome. I thank you for sharing multiplication, seeing your people, your kids as image bearers of God that have not only an opportunity to receive help, but to give back to the community as part of this regenerative multiplying cycle of the work that you're doing. Um, and so we, we just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing, not that you need our thanks, um, but thank you for being that model and for sharing your wisdom and insight um, to us. I, think, I mean, this is just really brilliant. And I'm so thankful for the so many Sparkers who are actually yeah. very much involved uh, with BCM. So um, Sue Ann and Rajesh and Yazi and Pastor Mark, is there anybody else that I'm missing from that? Um, if you have any questions about BCM, they would also be very, very happy to, to chat with you. Um, about how to get involved in any of that stuff. So, okay, Rolando, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. So to all of you Sparkers um, who are here and a part of this incredibly complex, wild journey of attempting to live out the economics of Jesus in this world, may you, through your life, plant beautiful 
wonderful seeds. May God water them, provide the sun, and grow them. And may you have the blessing of knowing and seeing the fruits of your labor. Multiply and regenerate in this world for God and for his kingdom. In his name, amen.